With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, so it's 2-2. The Islanders and the Panthers after one. Nelson and Nielsen for the Islanders. Jokinen and Purcell for the Panthers. Carlson, the only goal for the Capitals. No goals yet for the Flyers. one nothing. Early third period. Wild and Stars start later. The Sharks and the Kings start later. The Blue Jays are still up 4-2 on the Yankees in the bottom of the seventh. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Yeah, Mike Riley, a three-year contract extension. He's signed by the Eskimos until the end of the 2018 season. He was on the show earlier. I believe Matthew Panashik is in the process of podcasting that. And you can get it on the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. And uh, you can just go to 630Ched.com for other stories on that as well. Hey, we got our Oilers analyst Rob Brown on the line tonight. Hey, Rob, how's it going, man? Going all right. How are you doing? Good. I haven't seen you in like five days. I'm suffering Rob Brown withdrawal. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you spend 150 days a year together. <laughs> you know what's uh, funny? I-, I won't get into why I was doing it because that's a long story. But I was going through a box of hockey cards the other day, and I was I was buying hockey cards kind of late 80s, early 90s, and I found a Rob Brown hockey card, and I wondered if I mailed it to the station, would you sign it? <laughs> I will do that, but I, I tell you, do not eat the gum that came with those <laughs> hockey cards, because if my card is in it, it is very, very old, stale gum. <laughs> It was a photo of you. It's it's just like a headshot. It's just it's just your face in your helmet. Like it's not an action photo. So it's during well, game or warm up. A lot of times I wasn't moving very fast out there. They could get a lot of still pictures of me. <laughs> oh come on now. Uh, how as uh, as a bit of an aside here, people do uh, send you uh, fan mail. Often care of the station here. And uh, I, I will say this, you're, you're very generous with, with your time and getting back to people. How, how much stuff will you still get in the mail from fans these days? Uh, not a lot. Probably, I don't know, 10, 15 a month, maybe. Something along that line. Not near as much. I mean, I, I think, one, I'm not as interesting as I, as I used to be. And two, I, it's a lot harder to get a hold of me. So not near <laughs> as much as I used to. Back, back when, uh, when I played used to get a whole lot of, of fan mail that used to come to the rink, but uh, those days are gone. There's much younger and more famous people now. <laughs> how did you how did how did you used to handle in person autograph requests when you're you were a player? And I know you're always polite, but there must have been awkward moments where okay, I'm eating or I'm going to the bathroom or <laughs> or I've already signed a thousand autographs. I'm not sure I have time for two hundred more. Um I mean I I was always and anyone ever asked, it was I was always uh my pleasure to sign for them. I mean, there are funny ones. You'd be in a bar and someone come up to you while you're in, 
at the urinal and ask for your autograph or to shake your hand. I'm like, eh, you probably don't want to shake it now. <laughs> but the, the funniest, though, is I, got, I had food poisoning once and was taken to the hospital in Pittsburgh, and I was on a, a gurney laying in the middle of the hallway. And one of the or- orderlies, I guess they're called, came up, and just as I finished throwing up on one side, he's tapping me on the shoulder, asking me to sign some pictures for him. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, this might not go well. So that was one of the weirder ones. That is a, a bit of an inappropriate time to approach somebody, just for anybody yeah, out there. I, I thought so, too. I did sign it. I'm not exactly sure if I spelled my name right on that one. <laughs> it was just a big kind of wavy line. <laughs> big X. <laughs> big X. Rob Brown joining us uh, on Inside Sports. Uh, how much uh, did were you able to catch some of the action last night, buddy? I caught bits and pieces of it, yes. We were, we were channel flipping throughout the night, seeing the different games, so I saw parts of them. I, I'm curious, you know, that... that uh, Chicago St. Louis game, and uh, I didn't see, I didn't have it on here at the station, so I didn't really watch it till I got home and I saw the end of the third and, and then the overtime. Chicago had the advantage in shots on goal, and then I know you always hate when I use the term garbage goal, Rob, because you always say if it crosses the line, it's beautiful. But I mean, Bacchus was, he wasn't even shooting the puck. I've scored a number of goals like that in my career, and I, I always believe that that one is a karma goal he's being unselfish throw the puck across the crease and if he goes across the crease it's amazing how many times it's going to hit a foot and i bet you i've scored you know a couple dozen over my my nhl career simply normally i was a little bit closer to the net than, than bacchus was but just taking the puck and throwing it as hard as you can because if it hits somebody in front it can do one of two things one it hits and goes towards the net or the other way hits and goes away from the net, and you have the advantage because you're the offensive player looking that way. So always throw pucks around the net. Good things can happen, and that one was a perfect example. Put the puck around the net. He's being unselfish, and he was uh, the beneficiary of, uh, of good puck luck, but he created it by trying to make a play to a, a buddy on his team. If you're Chicago, and look, we know Chicago is the most seasoned playoff team out there right now, so, I mean, I know they can roll with it. But it's got to be deflating, not just to lose an overtime game where you've you've outshot the other team quite convincingly, but I mean, if you're the Blackhawks, are you going to the dressing room thinking, "My God, that wasn't even a great scoring chance," and somehow it leaked in? Is that a little deflating? No, I think as a team, especially a team that has been around, they're thinking, "You know what? We deserve that. We got unlucky, but we deserve that." So now we're like, we're going to go. I mean, that's the best they had, and it was. I mean, they had to be get lucky to beat us. So, to, to me, the Chicago Blackhawks feeling pretty good about themselves. They didn't have their, their one of their top players in the game, Duncan Keith. They, uh, the St. Louis Blues threw, you know, threw what they had at them, and it wasn't that good. So, I think Chicago saying we came here for a split, and we just have to win the next game. So, uh, for uh, a, an inexperienced team, for a team maybe hasn't got uh, hasn't been in the playoffs in a while, or a team just trying to find themselves. It could affect you, but I, I think you look at the Chicago's, the the L.A. Kings, players like that, I don't think there's really anything that can throw them off their game. Did you, I, I think you told me a story once, weren't you in the, uh, I want to say, IHL when you won a seventh game overtime where, uh, where an opponent missed an open net or hit a post with oh. an open net? <laughs> it was, I think it was, uh, actually it was a play-in series. It was a, it was a best of three, and we lost. We won, or lost the first game, and we were in the second game. If we lost, we were done for the season. And they had a 
a breakaway. Their best player had a breakaway in overtime. He missed, but the puck came right to another guy who had a wide-open net and fanned on the shot, like completely open net. He probably had five, six seconds and fanned on it. We came back down. We scored in overtime, won the next game, and ended up winning the, the league championship. Oh. But, yeah, we were, uh, we were a fan shot away from being out 2-0 in the first round, and eventually uh, we turned that puck luck into a, a, an IHL championship. I believe, actually, I think that was an AHL championship. Okay, so that was after the IHL had folded merged. some of the teams. Yeah, and they kind of, they kind of merged together. Yeah, that, that's now, did you, in the next game, did you sense anything from – the other team that they knew they'd kind of blown it on that chance? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially we, when we were the higher seed, we were the team that was supposed to win. So if you're the team that is uh, the lower seed, the team that uh, you're not expected a whole lot of, and you have that one chance and you don't take advantage of it, uh, you feel it the next game. A great example a few years ago was the Nashville Predators. They were playing in Chicago. They had, they had a one-goal lead, and they had a power play to end the game, and they were going to go up two games if they win. And they gave up a shorthanded goal, I believe, to Patrick Kane in the last 20 seconds of the game, losing overtime. And you knew that the series was over, that Nashville wasn't going to come back from that because they were a team that wasn't supposed to win. They had their chance and blew it. Rob Brown joining us at 7.15 Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, a little uh, NHL playoff chatter for you this evening. I got the Washington-Philly game on in here. Still one nothing for the Capitals with 12.5 minutes left, and the Capitals just started a power play uh, as well. You know, Rob, what was interesting listening to some of the Oilers' exit interviews on, on I guess everybody went on Sunday except Todd McClellan went on uh, on Monday and McClellan said, you know, I said to the guys, are you ready to play another 28 games right now? Because if the Oilers ever do become a playoff team, and we hope they, it, ha- it finally happens soon, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing you got to remember. NHLers don't train to play an 82-game schedule. They're training to hopefully play 105 or however many games it's going to take uh, to get to the end. And I, I'm assuming that, a lot more energy gets expended in the postseason games as well. Well, it's not even close. The teams in the National Hockey can't play playoff hockey all season long. You just can't. You would have no players left at the end of the the season. I mean, just watching, you know, for example, the the Washington-Philadelphia series right now, in the last five minutes, the Philadelphia Flyers have blocked about a dozen shots. I mean, there's huge. It's Ovechkin, uh, not Couture out of the, the game. It's it's a different kind of game when you get into the playoff hockey, and you've got to be willing to sacrifice. And there's, there's taking a step. The other first step is to get to the playoffs. But once they get to the playoffs, they're going to have to learn how to play playoff hockey. And the Oilers haven't played that style. And that's one of the reasons when you see Peter Shirelli talk about getting bigger, getting heavier, it, it's not to get through the regular season. It's to get, once you get into the playoffs, that you're able to take the pounding, the physical toll that it's gonna, you're going to have on you for hopefully 28 games. And it, it's a war of attrition. The, t- the, the teams that win are the teams that uh, have good depth and, and are willing to sacrifice each and every game because you don't know when that one sacrifice is the one that's going to get you uh, that win that you need. So what would be – what was your experience – once and and look, you you obviously played that five overtime game too. But just in general, in the playoffs, are coaches going to shorten practices? Are they maybe going to have fewer practice days altogether? Are you, as an athlete, 
Uh, are you sleeping even more than you would in the regular season? What kind of routine would would, would teams settle into? Well, the, the, the practice is, is huge. You very rarely do you have practices in playoffs. There's a lot of um, optionals. Uh, you, most of the stars, the guys that play the big minutes, don't see the ice very often between games, especially as you get going in the playoffs with the travel, with the amount of games that you play. Uh, the, your, your nutrition, your sleep, all way more important come playoff time because, I mean, go back to 06 here in Edmonton. They played every second night for throughout the league. They, they went almost the exact most amount of games that you could possibly play, so there was no time to to get outside of uh, the, the rest period. You always had to be resting. You had to take rest when you got it. You had to make sure that you got your, your sleep when you got it. You had to eat properly because it, it's not like you can go do a little extra training to get rid of those beers or those uh, that McDonald's that you stop by for lunch. You just don't have time, but you got to prepare. And, and it's just a willingness to sacrifice, and sacrificing both on the ice and off for that one goal of, of being a champion. All right, and before I let you go, did you see Teddy Purcell got on the board tonight for the Panthers? I did see that. I mean, we've said all along, Teddy Purcell is a guy that's got skill, and when you put him with skilled players, he's, he's good enough to play with them. And I thought he was a very good pickup for the Florida Panthers. He gives them a little extra depth that can play up and down your lineup. Yeah, Purcell. Oh, the Panthers got another one. Uh, Riley Smith, they go up 3-2 on the... You know what? Th- that Panthers team, Rob, I don't know. Like, they're... You know, nobody nobody talks about them a lot, but they've been good all year. They got a goalie. Yager is still, let's face it, one of the best players in the league. I I think they're... We'll see what happens after this round. I think they're going to beat the Islanders. Well, a couple things with that. Looking at the the way that the playoffs are set up, the the Florida foursome that they got that they have to go through is by far the easiest of any foursome in in the National Hockey League. Their bracket is by far the just simply looking at the teams that are going through the other brackets. And two, and my son told me this today, and I didn't realize you brought up Yarmir's name. Yarmir led the NHL in even strength points this year, he told me. Right. Which is unbelievable. I mean, Yarmir Yager, who's 43, 44 years old, whatever he is, led the NHL in, in, in uh, even strength points, which is just scary so it's a team that uh has been built well Dale Talon has done a great job but what they did their first, biggest move they did is went and got a goaltender that allowed them to be in every hockey game and as we, we saw this year when Cam Talbot started playing well it's amazing when you got goaltending how all of a sudden it evens out the playing field all right Rob we'll do this again during the postseason man it's good to have you back on the show and yeah enjoy watching the playoffs man some good games going again tonight Sounds good, Reed. Take care. That is Rob Brown, our Inside the Game analyst here on the Oilers Radio Network and 630 Ched. You hear him every Oilers game. You heard him tonight on Inside Sports. Always fun to have him on the show. I can't believe an orderly asked him to sign a picture seconds after Rob Brown vomited while laying in a hospital bed. Man, that that is that takes guts from that orderly. I, uh, Matthew, I know you're a, you. You can be a, a, a pretty ex- excitable fan. I hope you would never do that. Uh, no, I, I, I don't. I think I'd feel for the guy in that situation to say, "Excuse me, Mr. Brown, do you need another bucket in case you have to puke?" You know, uh, yeah, be like, nice, be courteous, get him a towel yeah, or something. Yeah, and right? then once he's feeling better, get him to sign the bucket. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, clean bucket reader. You want the stuff in it? No, no, you. you <laughs> 
could you trace your name in the vomit? <laughs> and then I'll immediately freeze it. But I don't know if that would work, man. Oh, I didn't think boy. we were going a little too early in the evening for vomit jokes. Dinner, uh, well, dinner's over, so we're good. Uh, you can always text us at 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. A little more from Dan Marr as we move along. He's the director of Central Scouting. Tom Higgins coached the Eskimos to the 03 Grey Cup is coming up to talk a little bit about video replay and the dudes from Oilers Nation, OilersNation.com are going to be in studio for some jovial chat. Their names are Bagged Milk and Jean Shorts. I'm serious. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chat. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 Chat. Okay, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 7:24. This is Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad, hope you've had a great week. We're heading into Friday weekend coming up. Uh, I know. I hope for a lot of you. For me, anyway, it's it's time where it's uh, time to run outside again, Matthew Panashik. Won't be for me, buddy. All right. Oh, yeah. You got a you got a little procedure coming up. Yep. All right. You're gonna be okay. I'll you're be gonna fine. Be, you're gonna be back at it. John Stanton, running room founder, is gonna be on the show tomorrow. Talk a little about running, spring fitness, all that kind of fun stuff. I know for me, Matthew, I run I, I run inside during the winter. Uh, a little. I guess I'm a little bit of a wimp. I just, two things. It's not really so much the cold. I think running outside in the winter for me it would be the footing, as much as anything else. I I always admire people who keep running outside all winter long. But uh, time to get back outside, or maybe for a lot of people they hibernate a bit in the winter, aren't that active. I know that when I have been outside, or even when I go, uh, you know, I run obviously in the morning when I'm not at work. Even weekday mornings, a lot of people already out on the trails in the river valley, getting going. Good to see. Great spring, too, eh, buddy? Oh, it's been amazing. You been golfing yet? Not yet. I, w- I wish I could go, that's for sure. Got to go soon. Got to get out there. 726 Inside Sports on 630. Chad, Mike Riley today, Eskimos quarterback, gets a new three-year contract. He will stay in green and gold until the end of the 2018 season. Riley, the Grey Cup MVP last season as the Eskimos knocked off the Ottawa Red Blacks. Dan Marr from Central Scouting comparing Pelyarve to Line A. He has uh, he brings more of the power forward game where yeah. he you know he can rely on his physical attributes a little uh, a little bit more. Uh, not the same skill set, but again, we're talking really minuscule differences between between these players here, and. I just think Liner right now has a little bit more dynamic game that he brings to the table. Uh, Pugliari, we might have what you call like just more of the up-and-down game. All right, and he's the director of Central Scouting. That full interview on the Oilers Now page on 630Ched.com. If the Oilers pick in the top three, they're going to get a, an extremely good center or a pretty good winger. 
who uh, and they've both been playing in the Finnish league all winter long. So maybe guys that could uh, jump in and help with the roster right away and certainly give them some flexibility with some of their existing players. All right, here's what we're going to do. We've got a break for the 7.30 news, traffic, and weather still ahead. We will feature Oilers Nation. Very interesting website and organization. We'll find out a little bit about their role in terms of being fans and talking about your favorite hockey team. And Tom Higgins is going to join us as well, former CFL head coach, former director of officiating, as we get into the video replay conundrum. You can tell me what you think by texting 630 630. Hi, this is Taylor Hoff and your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. what's happening still one nothing for the capitals over philadelphia five minutes left in game one florida up three two on the new york islanders eight minutes left in the second period there the wild and the stars are about to get going in about an hour it'll be the sharks against the kings the blue jays winning it tonight four two over the new york yankees jays now up to uh five and five on the season stroman the winning pitcher eight innings great outing only gave up three hits, two runs, two walks, struck out three. Osuna gets the save, his fourth of the season, a clean ninth inning for him. Well, of course, the big football news today, the Edmonton Eskimos locking up quarterback Mike Riley through the 2018 season. The uh, CFL news that's been brewing over the last few weeks, they uh, considered it and they went with it, expanding video review in a, in a few different ways. And we thought, who better to talk about that than a gentleman who has dealt with this as the CFL's director of officiating, and he's also dealt with it by being able to challenge plays as a coach in the CFL. And I'm pleased to uh, bring in 2003 Grey Cup champion coach right here in Edmonton. It's Tom Higgins. Tom, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Reed, I am excellent, and a very good evening to you and the listeners. Yeah, thanks for making time for us. I imagine you're a bit in demand because of uh, because of your uh, dual association with this topic. Um, where to dive in? I, I think I'm going to start, Tom, with this eye in the sky feature where there's mm-hmm. going to be someone, uh, a video official, watching the game who can communicate with the guys on the field and maybe help them with offside or tell them to pick up flags and things like this. Let's start with your experience in the in the command center, the video booth. How's well, this going to work? Uh, maybe if it's one of the legacies that's left behind with six years as being the director of officiating. We we went to the command center. Actually, it's, uh, it all started with the, the NFL did it. They went with the command center, but it was because of 9-11, and it was a security issue, and then all of a sudden they realized this is a great way in which to do it instead of having the official go underneath the little hood there have one person that's responsible that gets to see it and is not within the action of itself. Now, what it has now evolved to is that all the officials on the field, all seven of them, can communicate with one another. But now the referee does not have to come to the sideline anymore to put the headset on. He throws a switch and he's talking to the command center. And so what they now have expanded is just a way in which to help them. So one of them is uh, that's very difficult is if when a, an offensive lineman 
uh, moves and a defensive lineman jumps into the neutral zone. Who's the penalty on? Well, the two people that are on the sideline have, have the worst view to make the decision. Those are the, the line officials. And so somebody who has the better view is somebody who's actually watching it on television. And so if PSN didn't show the clip, the command center guy would, would operator would just say, I have no uh, review. Go with the ruling on the field. Okay, but if he has a review, he can talk to the ref immediately. Immediately, and yes, say, and then say, well, because what happens is they conference, and then that's what takes a while because the, the, the headlinesman, the line judge, the referee come together. The umpire would also be in that, that group and say, well, I saw this, I saw this. It's really hard to tell from that vantage point. Um, what happens is the, ref, the official, a video review official, uh, would jump in and say, I'll make the decision. It definitely was on the defense. The defense forced the offense to jump off sides, uh, get five yards, mark it off. There is no discussion. Let's get on playing with the football game. Now, I, we, we had Glenn Johnson on when this was being uh, considered, and obviously he, he succeeded you in, in, in this role. Um, and he, he explained it to me that the video official could also, he can't call penalties, but he can help out when a flag has been thrown. And he also said he can tell them to pick up a flag, where maybe he might say, oh, wait a minute, there was no, I don't know if it's going to extend to like holding, there was no hold there, or there was no offside, or there was no, no yards, which I guess is going to be challengeable. I That's mean, is correct. that is that going to interrupt the flow, though, and kind of the authority <laughs> the officials have? It should not. It actually okay. should increase the flow. And, and, again, that's one of the things that um, was critically and very important because uh, what happened over the last two years, there's the inordinate amount of number of flags, and then all of a sudden the mistakes that were being made. I truly believe that the NFL did have a little bit of an influence because during their season the owners got together and just said, this is ridiculous, and they actually instituted the fact that the command center – they have one as well. If they see that there's something flagrant that's wrong, fix it. And that's really the, the, the bottom line to, to having a command center. The, the seven officials on the field are paid to, to officiate the football game. They try not to make any mistakes, but if there is a mistake made, which really has occurred, and even during the six years, we knew that it was a mistake, but there was nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. We have to live with it, and then we correct it after the game's over and then within, within the video review. And then I'm calling the coach and said, you know what? Yeah, that was a mistake. But, again, the coaches understood at that point in time, there's nothing you can do with it. Uh, there was a perfect game that was in baseball. Had they had review, the pitcher would have ended up with a perfect game. It, you know, uh, mistakes are part of the game. Officials do make mistakes. But the officials usually make less mistakes than players as well as coaches. And so they're just held to a higher standard. And um, this, I just think, is, is going to help. And, again, the flow of the game is critical. I think it can definitely help. But there, there's some rules that you put in place, and we put in a rule in place, and if we get to it, you'll understand, about uh, a kickoff and field goals. And it, we've got put into place, and the mo- moment that the, the Board of Governors said it's a rule, you, you have to have it for the remainder of the year. All the coaches came up to me and said, can we change this rule? This is terrible. We're going to hurt players. Right. said, no, you know what? <laughs> you voted for it. The owners voted for it. And I, I caught a lot of garbage the next year when I, we wanted to put it back to the way it was. And they said, this will never happen again. I go, you know what? I, I, I was just the bearer of the bad news, and I <laughs> caught all the flack, but that's okay. 
um, that's what happens, and it's just like the, the field goal in the last three minutes. And if we get we have time to get to it, we can uh, talk about it then. Yeah, well, let, let's let's do that right now. So now, if uh, it, we'll just pick the two Alberta teams as an easy example, if mm-hmm. the Eskimos kick a field goal against the Calgary Stampeders with less than three minutes remaining in the game. Calgary does not have the option to take the ball on the 35. They must receive a kickoff. Correct. So it's... now here's, here's the reason for it. Because if you are down by um, nine points, and what happens is in, in making this decision, Edmonton would have to, the Eskimos would have to have tried for the touchdown first because then they could onside kick. That's the only reason that this got put into play. Because you would, they don't. They want to give you the opportunity, kick the field goal, and then you get it down to six points. Then we can kick the onside kick, which is a very exciting play, and then uh, have a chance to recover it, and then still possibly win the football game. That's the reason for it. Now, what's interesting is if now you go to um, what's reviewable, they've added things to reviewability. So it just makes it a little more difficult, but not necessarily because the coaches don't have any more challenge flag. But illegal interference on a kickoff occurs almost every onside kick. Right. What happens is you cannot interfere with the guy who is receiving the ball, but it happens all the time. The problem with it is we don't have enough officials on the field to cover that area, but review can do it. And so that's one of the reasons that they allow the coaches to have that chance. Now, um, illegal interference in that review usually occurs in the very last part of a football game. So, and it becomes an exciting part of the football game. So that's why it was put in, okay. uh, that rule. And I can see why it was passed. Yep. But the rule that I was talking about that they all got excited about is that on every uh, field goal that was made, you had to kick the football off. And so what was happening is that we were having a lot more athletes that had to cover kickoffs, and there were so many more kickoffs, they thought it would be real exciting to have more kickoffs so that we can get returns. Well, it was just uh, uh, we're getting more players hurt, and it just wasn't a good idea. It was at the time, but really wasn't. It was actually meant for this rule, and that's why they now have come full circle to bring it back that uh, in the uh, last three minutes about field goals. Right. Tom Higgins joining us inside Sports on 630, Chad. Uh, Tom, to get back to the replay stuff, there are now more instances where a coach will be able to throw the challenge flag. And you said it yourself, he, uh, a coach won't have more challenges, but there will be a larger variety of plays that, that he can challenge. Um, I mean, I guess maybe if you put on your, your, your coach's hat, um, I mean, do you want that responsibility? Do you want the opportunity, you know, on a, on a wider variety of plays to say, hey, I think we need to take another look at that? Or, or you know, are we getting or are we stretching the boundaries a little too far here in terms of what can be looked at? Here's a, here's the terrible thing. And because um, you're on the sideline as a head coach and then you're asking the people who are upstairs in the uh, press box to say, you know, what do you see? Now, with having only two challenges, and if you're correct on the two, you can have a third challenge. But you're always holding on to your last challenge because it's so critical at the end of a football game. So you're, you're very conscious not to throw flags early on. So uh, you can challenge no yards. That's one that's a lot easier for the command center to do because you can stop motion and realize, okay, he was five, not five yards or was five yards. Illegal blocks on a kick play. 
roughing or contacting the kicker. That's a judgment call. I mean, you know what? No, I'm not going to throw the flag. Um, you have to be very judicious with what you're going to do, but it just puts a little more pressure on the coach to, to have this list of knowing, oh, that's reviewable, that's reviewable. So that's what Glenn Johnson is actually doing. Uh, as he makes his way all around town, all around the, the country, uh, he's talking to the coaches to make sure that they understand, but then also to the media so that they can help the uh, fans understand. And TSN's going to have a great opportunity this year as they're explaining things. Well, that was reviewable. I don't know why he's not reviewing right. that. That's definitely <laughs> this or that. No, I'm hanging on to the flag. It's too early in the game. It's not crucial. Um, but you, you always have the opportunity that if something is blatantly wrong, you can possibly get it right. The Great Cup was won uh, this past year and based on um, a challenge flag. And that was a that was a critical challenge. And that, criti- that challenge, I think, allowed the – Edmonton Eskimos put another Grey Cup on their franchise. Um, and, and, again, that's a good thing. And so I think everything that has been passed, they passed 10 out of 11. Um, I'm anxious to see how it works. Right now, you know, you're applauding everybody. Everyone's so happy that things are working really well. Um, I hope that uh, at the end of the football season we're still smiling as much with uh, – uh, what this does for the football game itself. Well, and that leads me to my last question, and I've even had people text in to 630-630 during this interview, and even though, Tom, the, the number of challenges aren't going up, people hear more opportunity for replay, they hear a video official who can get involved, and they worry that the games are going to get longer with with more delays and, and the players standing around instead of competing. And we saw a really long delay at the end of the third quarter in the West Final, which I think was actually a double review because of a couple of things that happened. Do you share that concern that this could extend games, or do you think this will have limited or no impact? I, I, I'm always concerned, and I was concerned for six years, and the responsibility is on the football teams. It's also on the seven officials that are on the field. And one of the things so that people can understand, the, the coaches and the teams are as responsible for flow of the football game as the officials are. And so the officials are always in that, that mode. And one of the things that I continue to work to help tell coaches how they can help officiating, because that's a very tough thing to do is officiate anything, any sport, just ask any of the young officials who try to do a hockey game with a tight arena where all the people are yelling at them and screaming at them or anything. Mm-hmm. I really do applaud anybody who officiates on any level. Um, but I, I, I really do believe that uh, the responsibility falls on both teams and the officials. And what the coaches can do to help the officiating the flow of game is make sure the players know the rules have them play by the rules, and then the games will flow very easily. But all of these, it, it seems like there's a lot here, but there's not. It's, uh, but the flow of the game is still a responsibility of, of the teams as well as the officials, and I hope this actually speeds up the flow of the game and doesn't slow it down at all. What people need to know is that they have been communicating from the command center to the officials on the field. They've been able to do that now hopefully it allows them the opportunity to speed it up instead of them huddling together just say look it's on the defense five-yard penalty mark it off and let's get going right on yeah i hope that's what happens too tom hey thanks for being so generous with your time it's always great to have your thoughts on inside sports i hope we can keep in touch hey always a pleasure you have yourself a great evening excellent stuff that is tom higgins joining us tonight little perspective 
from a former CFL head coach and the former director of officiating in the league about some of the changes that are coming, the video official, expanded video review. Tom seems pretty optimistic about them. How do you feel? You can text 630-630-780-496-0063 is the phone number. We will update your NHL scoreboard when we get back. One of the games has gone final. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. tuning in tonight so we have a victory here for the Washington Capitals 2-0 the final over the uh, Philadelphia Flyers tonight goals scored by Beagle and Carlson and Holtby gets the shutout just double checking the shots on goal here 31-19 were the shots for the Capitals so a 19 save shutout for the Caps in that one the Islanders and the Panthers now 3-3 after two periods John Tavares with the latest goal in that game to uh, tie it up for the Islanders. Minnesota and Dallas scoreless about seven minutes into the game, starting at 8.30 tonight. It's Los Angeles entertaining the San Jose Sharks. The Toronto Blue Jays won tonight 4-2 over the New York Yankees. Both teams now 500 on the season. Interesting, uh, last night, Golden State finishing the season 73-9. They are coached by Steve Kerr who 20 years ago, Matthew Panashik, played on the Bulls team that went 72-10. and 10. Hmm. How, would you like, how, how would you like to say in your career, your second best season was the year you won 72 games? <laughs> That's pretty incredible what the, what the um, Golden State Warriors done this season. I mean, Steph Curry, I'd love to go to Golden State and watch a game and watch him play because he is one heck of an athlete, and he's one heck of a three-point shooter. Well... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I was going to say they may move the three-point line back because of him. Might be the Steph Curry rule. Well, they're they're a much more, I, I guess, freewheeling and almost joyous team as compared to that Bulls team. Um, I mean, that Bulls team, Matthew, that was the start of their second three-peat, right? So they'd already won three in a row and crushed teams. Jordan retired, so they didn't make the finals a couple years in a row. And then Jordan came back. I guess he actually came back near the end of the previous season, right? And they lost in the playoffs. But that was a team that was, like, I think people thought this Golden State was team was going to be good. They didn't. I don't remember them there being much talk of the record until, well, I think they started 24-0. Once they started getting into the teens, it was like, okay, it's going to be possible. That Bulls team you knew was going to be good. And I don't know if more business-like is the word, but they were almost like the big corporation crushing all the little guys, right? The Golden State Warriors are almost like the little guys who are just having a lot of fun and, and crushing the big corporations. Is that a fair, fair way to put it? You know what I'm kind of getting yeah, at. There's I, a little more joie de vivre with the Golden State Warriors. You know, the Golden State Warriors, when you think of the Golden State Warriors, you think of a team that was awful in the 90s and awful in the 80s, right? They were terrible. And all of a sudden, they've come to be this powerhouse team that really nobody saw coming when they drafted Steph Curry, right? Well, the, the Golden State Warriors, in my lifetime, I, I can't remember them ever being very good before 
last year. I'm just checking their season-by-season record. They won the NBA Finals in, what, the 77 season? Uh, Sorry, 1975, they won the NBA Finals. The Golden State Warriors missed the playoffs from 78 to 86. They won a cup. They won a round in 87, 89, and 91. They missed the playoffs from 1995 to 2006. They made the playoffs in 07. Then they missed the playoffs for five more years. Now, so they so they had 11 seasons out of the playoffs. So we know that pain here in Edmonton, obviously, right? Yep. And then they were the eighth seed, upset the Dallas Mavericks in 07, then lost to the Jazz. So, yeah, this is a team that has been one of the most irrelevant teams in the National Basketball Association. Fair enough. Since, uh, basically since the late 70s. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair thing. I think that 06 team had Antoine D- Jameson on it, right? Or 07 team had Jameson? Oh, you're probably right. Remember they flipped Vince Carter for Jameson at the draft. Yeah, when, yes, when, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. When was when did that that draft was 01 or 02? Now, the most thing I remember from the uh from the uh, Golden State Warriors in the 90s read was Latrell Sprewell choking out his coach. That was the biggest <laughs> thing about the Warriors right, when I was right. a kid, right? Uh PJ Car Car uh, was it Carlissimo? Yeah. Yeah. Uh I just remember that as a kid. Like, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, Latrell Sprewell, coach, you know, he choked his coach. He's going to get suspended for the year and whatever. I think the NBA did suspend him for a long time. He got suspended for a long time. Yeah, yeah I can't remember what it was. So, uh, Golden State and Kobe Bryant, 60 points? <laughs> like, was honestly, I, I was more interested in Golden State breaking the record. So, I didn't even flip to the Lakers game. Um, but it, it, it sounds like it was defense optional for Utah. And they decided not to play a lot of defense on Kobe. What, what happened was his teammates were passing the ball, and Kobe would just shoot every time. He was time, just firing he, away. He was Which just is, firing. Well, and for for him, that's pretty much how he played his whole career. His teammates would pass him the ball, and and he would just shoot. But uh, great career. I mentioned yesterday I got to see Bryant play against the Chicago Bulls when I went to Los Angeles during the NHL All Star break. So a great career. And I gotta admit, I tell, like I'm not look, I'm not a huge NBA fan. Um, but a team like Golden State, yeah, they, they make you get a little bit more interested because they are fun to watch. And the other side of it is, too, is someone maybe going to upset them or push them in the playoffs, right? Raptors are going to play what, Indiana? That starts on the weekend? Yep. The only uh, Raptors choke us in the playoff, Reed. We'll see. We'll see. I think they got to at least they, – they, they should be good enough to get past the first round this year, right? 7.58. Uh, We got some exciting news because uh, an Edmontonian has been drafted into the WNBA. Paul Sir from Basketball Alberta will have those details. And bagged milk and jean shorts, your buddies from Oilers Nation, are going to talk about their website, talk a little bit about the Oilers season as well. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.